Hello, this is Pastor Brian Wolfmuller reading Martin Luther's sermon for the third Sunday in Advent, a sermon on Matthew chapter 11. To learn more about the Luther Sermon Podcast, visit www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is written in Luther's house postal, published in Ohio in 1886, and is in the public domain. Here's the gospel reading, Matthew 11, verses 2 to 10. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to him, Go and show John again those things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whoever shall not be offended in me. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see, a man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft raiment are in kings' houses. But what went ye out for to see, a prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Luther's Sermon In this gospel there are two points demanding our notice. First, that John sends his disciples out of prison unto Christ to hear him and see his miracles and receive him as the true Messiah or Christ. This should encourage us also willingly to hear the words of our dear Lord Jesus and to regard it as the greatest treasure in which indeed is our salvation. The other point is that our Savior not only so highly praises John the Baptist as a pattern for the preachers, since he so faithfully performed the duties of his office that even when he was in prison and could not any more preach himself, he sent his disciples to Christ, but also rebukes the unbelief of the Jews because they so lightly esteemed this preacher and paid no heed to his words. This should serve as a warning to us not to despise God's word, but willingly to hear it and be bettered thereby. The first, that we should hear the word of Christ diligently, is indicated by this that John, when he was already in prison, as soon as he heard of the wonderful works of Christ, sent his disciples to him with the command that they should ask him whether he were the one that should come, concerning whom Moses and all the other prophets had written so much, and concerning whom there should be so much preached in the New Testament. That is, whether he were the promised Christ, concerning whom it was written that the Jews' kingdom and Moses' doctrine should continue until this coming, after which Moses' doctrine and worship should cease, and a new doctrine and worship be established, not only among the Jews, but also among the heathen in the whole world, as this had been clearly and unequivocally prophesied. Therefore, since soon after John's imprisonment it had commenced, and the Lord Jesus himself had begun to preach concerning eternal life and the kingdom of God, John now wishes to direct his disciples to the Lord himself, sends them thereby to Christ, that with their eyes they might see the miracles, and with their ears hear that doctrine proclaimed, concerning which the prophets had so long foretold, that Christ would thus bring them upon earth and reveal himself. Therefore, this sending is nothing else than as if John would say, It is true, I myself know that he is the very Christ, as I have hitherto preached concerning him, but the people do not believe it yet. And since I am now in prison and must quit preaching, They would no more more regard my testimony concerning him. Therefore, that you may be assured of this, and my preaching be not in vain in you, go to him yourselves now, and hear it from his own lips, in order that henceforth you may separate yourselves from me and all jewelry, and cling alone to this man, 
upon whom depends everything pertaining to your and the whole world's salvation. This is the final purpose of this message of John to Christ, that his disciples should themselves see and hear him, learn to know him, and thus believe in him and be saved. Well, what does Christ say in this message? He neither says yes or no when they asked him whether he were the one, but refers them to the public testimony of his works and says, Here you see, hear and comprehend that I am he. For just as Isaiah and the other prophets have foretold that Christ should heal the lame, give the blind their sight, etc., thus you see it now before your eyes and need no further instruction nor answer, if you will but rightly receive this. This is now a precious, beautiful sermon concerning Christ embracing everything which can be preached concerning him, what kind of king he is and what kind of kingdom he has, namely a kingdom to which the blind, lame, leprous, deaf, dead people, and especially poor sinners and all who are wretched, needy, and nothing belong, and in which they find comfort and help. We should diligently mark this sermon concerning Christ and his kingdom, and always let it be heard among us that Christ has such a kingdom and is such a king and is willing to help wretched, poor people, body and soul, when the whole world and all that is in it cannot afford no, can afford no help. For such a skillful doctor never came before who could restore the blind to sight, cleanse the lepers, etc., just as there were never a preacher who could have preached the gospel to the poor, that is, who could truly comfort sad, wretched, anguished consciences and cause timid hearts filled with sadness and sorrow to rejoice and be glad. Moses is indeed the greatest preacher, having himself received the Ten Commandments from God, for I do not speak now of other Jewish laws. God evidently testified that this is his eternal, unchangeable will, which he also otherwise plants into men's hearts, that we should be obedient unto him according to these doctrines and commandments. And nothing higher can be preached respecting the doings and life of all creatures than this, that we love God above all things, etc. But however good and precious such, preach, such preacher is, nevertheless he cannot comfort one poor sinner with his, that is, the law's, preaching. Nay, he does the contrary. For all his preaching amounts to this, Thou shalt and must keep the law, or be damned. Here then begins distress. For those who are conscious of their sins and would like to be delivered from them embitter their lives, use all possible diligence to keep the law, but cannot be satisfied, nor by such means obtain a joyful heart and conscience. For thus also the saints of the Old Testament complain, who are tired of Moses' government, who, oppre who oppresses them through the law, and with an intolerable burden, as St. Paul says, Acts 15, and have an earnest longing after the kingdom of grace promised in Christ, as, for instance, Psalm 14. Oh, that the salvation of Israel were come out of Zion! When the Lord bringeth back the captivity of his people, Jacob shall rejoice, and Israel shall be glad. And Psalm 102, Thou shalt arise and have mercy upon Zion, for the time to favor her is come. Again, the hypocrites think that if they externally keep the law, they need think neither of the gospel nor of Christ. There is no fear, they think. God must take them into heaven on account of their fasting, prayers, and almsgiving. These are self-secure, strange spirits who care nothing for God and His grace. Now, it is true we must have the preaching of Moses in order that we may admonish and incite the poor to a proper discipline and conversation. Just as in civil government we must have jailers and hangsmen to keep the people in fear and subjection and to punish rude, lawless fellows who will not submit to such external discipline, but live in adultery, steal, or covetous, etc., etc., in addition to this, the Ten Commandments must also be retained in the church for the sake of those who are already holy and are Christians, in order that they may know what is a truly godly life and what are good works which they are to do, and that now since they are turned unto God, justified by faith in Christ and God's children, 
they may also begin to live in obedience toward God. But when that hour comes, when we are to stand in the anguish of death and the struggle of conscience against the terrors of divine wrath and hell, and are to have comfort and gain the victory, tell me, what will the law of Moses help you then, even though you have diligently kept it and led a holy life according to it? Is it not true that you must confess and say, My dear Heavenly Father, although I have been no adulterer, thief, nor murderer, yet I am unclean and full of sins before thee. Therefore I desire and pray thee that thou wouldst be gracious and merciful unto me, else with all my good works I must despair, as David also says, Psalm 143, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no living man be justified. And Psalm 130, If thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? Bearing upon this we read a story in the lives of the fathers. An old hermit stood near nearly three whole days in one place, and continually lifted his eyes towards heaven, sighed and complained. But when his disciples asked him what ailed him, he answered, Oh, I am really afraid of death. Then his disciples related what a strict life he had always led, how diligently he had observed the divine commandments, thinking that they would thus comfort him. But he says, I tell you, I am in great fear. I have, as you say, diligently observed God's law, yet I cannot drive away this fear. For I know that God's judgments are very different from man's judgments. Behold, this man was brought to perceive that when our last hour comes and we must appear before God in his judgment and begin to see that God's judgment is searching, earnest, and severe, then our holiness and good works will not stand, nor can we be justified through them. Therefore, although we should preach the law and constantly practice good works and live according to God's law always, yet when we are to die we must say like this old father, O God, who will now help? This is also one of those distresses, distressed ones of whom it is here written, but he does not know what he, to what he shall hold fast, for he does not know what the Lord here says. The poor have the gospel preached to them. He sees and has nothing more yet than the law. This leaves him with a troubled conscience and fear and anguish and cannot comfort him. But the gospel is a, measure, is a message concerning Christ, which says to the sinner, My son, be of good cheer and joyful, be not afraid. For you must know that Christ is commanded to announce his grace to the poor, i.e. the distressed and troubled hearts. He places his purity, which is divine and eternal, before you, and washes away your sins, reconciles you to God, and has purchased for and offers to you forgiveness of sins and eternal life through his sacrifice and death. He commands this grace to be offered to you through his word. Therefore doubt not, for as you hear, if you but believe it, so shall it be certain to you. Therefore, Christ and the prophets very properly call this announcement a gospel, that is, a gracious, comforting, blessed doctrine or ministry. Just as if a rich man should promise a poor beggar a thousand dollars, this would be to him a gospel, a joyful message, which he would gladly hear and heartily rejoice over. But what are money and goods compared with this comforting and gracious announcement that Christ has mercy upon the distressed, and is such a king as is willing to help poor sinners who are captive under the law to eternal life and righteousness? This, he says here, is my kingdom, which differs much from earthly kingdoms, for here they help the strong and honor the pious, and on the other hand condemn and punish the wicked. They govern strictly with the edge of the sword, cut and strike everywhere around them, and cannot, nor should they, tolerate any vice or immorality. Here they must everywhere be hangmen, scourges, swords, water, fire, that they may be able to practice the office of punishing. But this kingdom of Christ has nothing to do with strong, holy, innocent men, but with poor, weak, wretched sinners." condemned by the law, 
as Christ here says, the blind receive their sight, the dead are raised up, etc. Now, to raise the dead is a great miracle, but this miracle is far greater and more glorious and yet does not seem so. God so loved the world that he gave his Son, whom he had set apart from eternity to be a king of the poor and the sinners, and to preach to them the gospel. Of such a king and gospel Moses and the law do not preach, for their judgment is directly thus. Whoever is a sinner belongs under the power of the devil and death, but whoever would be in the kingdom of God must be holy and without sin. And it is true. For Moses' kingdom is also the kingdom of our Lord, and the doctrine which he preaches is also God's word, just as the temporal government may also be called the kingdom of God, for it is his will that we should live obediently under this also. But this kingdom is only on the left hand, where he places father, mother, emperor, king, judge, hangman, and commits the government unto them, or commands and makes known through his ministers, angels or men, what we are to do. But his right kingdom, in which he himself rules and works, is where the gospel is preached to the poor, in which thou learnest, when thine own piety cannot stand before him, nor help thee, to say, Lord, I have done what I could, I have been obedient to, and faithfully served my parents and superiors, I have faithfully instructed my house, children, and servants, and governed them as well as I could, have not done my neighbor any evil, have not stolen, not committed adultery, etc., but all this does not help me before thy judgment, nor does it bring me to thy kingdom." For I am not thereby without sin before thee, and this is my obedience was very imperfect, and besides, there is still much impurity in me. Yet, dear Lord, I will not despair on that account. For I once heard from thy gospel that thy Son, my dear Lord Jesus Christ, did six kinds of miracles. Among this it is mentioned also that the poor have the gospel preached to them, that is, that he was ordained of thee, Heavenly Father, to comfort distressed, terrified hearts. Of this message I will also avail myself, for it belongs to me since I am so poor and wretched, and cannot find any help in me nor in the whole world besides. Thus the prophet Isaiah prophesies concerning Christ in the 50th chapter, where he, the Lord Jesus himself, says, The Lord God hath given me to the tongue of the learned, that is, God hath put his word upon my tongue, and hath commanded me to preach it, so that I know how to speak to the weary, that is, rightly to comfort timid consciences. The evangelist here explains this and says, as is also said in Isaiah 60, Christ preaches the gospel to the poor. For therefore, and to this end, he is made a king, namely, that he should evangelize, that is, comfort and strengthen poor, timid, afflicted hearts. Wherefore, his kingdom is also called, and is a kingdom of comfort and help, in which they are no more to terrify the timid, nor let them remain in anguish, but to deliver them through true divine comfort and make them joyful again. This is not and cannot be done by the preaching of the law, but only through this preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the joyful good news, that through him our sins are taken away, and that through his suffering and death we are redeemed from eternal death. This preaching belongs to the poor, says the Lord. To them I will go, for I cannot go to the great saints who do not want to be sinners, have no need of my gospel, nay persecute it, call it heresy, and say that through it good works are forbidden and Moses and the law are spoken against. Therefore he says further, Blessed is he whoever shall not be offended in me. Yes, truly blessed. For the whole world is offended in this king and his gospel, in which everyone ought of right to rejoice, as we see in the gospel history that the Pharisees, scribes, high priests, priests, Levites, and all who were high and great look upon and condemn Christ as a deceiver, and his doctrine as heresy. He never can preach rightly for them. 
They always think that he turns things around and gets them wrong, that he would cast the pious and righteous, as indeed he does, into hell, and not suffer them into his kingdom, but would exalt the sinners to heaven, even as the papists nowadays also accuse us, saying, Is this the right kind of preaching, that you attach no importance at all to good works and open heaven for wicked fellows? Such detraction our Savior also had to suffer among the Jews. But here it is written, Blessed is he, whoever shall not be offended in me. Now, if you would rightly hear Christ, receive his word, and come unto his kingdom, you would experience that the gospel does not forbid good works, as the papists lie about us, but it teaches and admonishes Christians to do good works, to be earnestly concerned not to do anything against God's word and their conscience. Let civil government, emperors, and kings remain, and let the hangman use the sword, scourge, and other things that belong to discipline. Why then are you offended in the holy gospel, and slander it, as though it had taught that we should do nothing good? The gospel does not condemn nor forbid good works, but this it does forbid, namely to build upon and trust in our life and good works when we die and are about to enter into another life where we need help and comfort against sin and eternal death. It teaches that we are to look unto the Lord Jesus with firm confidence to rely upon his work and merit, that through him we shall find grace and eternal salvation in that life. For to this very end God has given us such a body with so many useful members that we should not be idle on earth, but walk with our feet, grasp with our hands, speak with our mouth, see with our eyes, etc. And since man lives and has to use his members, he must do something, and can just as little be without works as he can live without constant breath or the pulsation of the heart. But with regard to such works, and to our whole life, God's law demands that they should all be done in obedience to him and according to his will. This the gospel not only permits, but also confirms, and teaches that we should do it with all diligence. But when man is to leave this world and appear before the judgment of God, then the gospel bids you look for another comfort, upon which you can surely ground and rest your firm hope of eternal life. Therefore, if you have lived well here, that is, right and good, thank God for it. But in dying, do not depend on this as though God must give you heaven on this account. But hold fast to this King, Christ Jesus, who alone, as the evangelist announces, shall have this office, to give the blind their sight, to make the lame walk, to cleanse the lepers, to give the deaf their hearing, to raise the dead, and to preach the poor disconsolate the gospel, that is, to show and give them eternal consolation, life, joy, and salvation. To this end his Father sent him, not that he should hang us or break us on the wheel because of our sins, but that he should comfort our poor consciences and help them forever. But those who do not regard him thus, nor expect such grace from him, uh, but are offended in him and his doctrine, and despise him, as the Jews did and the hypocrites do nowadays, he will restrain in his own time. And this is one cause of offense which the world finds in the doctrine of Christ, that it does not want to depend on God's grace, but its own works and merit. Therefore it accuses the Holy Gospel with being a deceptive doctrine which forbids good works and makes people dissolute and wild. Secondly, the world is offended in Christ because he is himself so poor and needy. Again, as he himself bears the cross and suffers himself to be suspended on it, he also admonishes his Christians to take up their crosses and follow him through all kinds of afflictions and tribulation. The world is hostile to this and fears it, as we see when we confess the gospel and are to venture and suffer something for its sake. The whole multitude fall like worm-eaten fruit in the summer. In the third place, this is also an offense— if we pay more regard to our own heart and conscience, how we may happen to feel than to the gospel of Christ. That is, if our own deeds and omissions concern us and trouble us more than the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ promised in the gospel comforts us. This kind of offense is not so common as the first two, for only true Christians are affected by it. 
but it distresses beyond measure. And were it not for the help and assistance of the Holy Spirit, not one of us could overcome such offense. Thus the dear Lord Jesus is everywhere in the world a preacher who gives offense. As soon after the gospel, he announces in still clearer terms that people will be offended at this doctrine, will despise it, persecute it. But what judgments awaits the world on this count we learn from the sermon against the three cities, Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida as also from the serious complaint of Christ against the Jews, when he says, John was a strict preacher, ate only wild honey and locusts, drank nothing but water, led a strictly ascetic life. But what did it avail? You accused him of having a devil. I, says he, eat and drink with everyone, and am very friendly toward the people. I am looked upon you as a glutton and wine-bibber associated with publicans and sinners. So no one can get along with these venomous serpents, the hypocrites and self-righteous. If one leads a free life and is friendly to everyone, it will not do. If another leaves a strict, ascetic life, it will not do either. What shall we do to please the miserable world? This, perhaps, would please her if we would praise everything that she does, although she does nothing right. Such offenses we must suffer. For if, when the Lord Jesus himself preached, the miracles were as common as rain and snow, in other words, that the blind received their sight, the ears of the deaf are opened, the lame were made to walk, the lepers were cleansed, and the dead were restored to life. All this availed nothing, but the word was still despised, and he, the Lord Jesus himself, for its sake was nailed to the cross, and the apostles were driven from the land of Judea and were not able to remain in safety anywhere in the world. Why should we complain so much about it? Is it a matter of surprise that the world in our times despises the gospel and its true and faithful preachers and tramples them underfoot? For our Lord himself and the apostles met with no different fate, who preached not only the word, but also did great and noble miracles, like of which we do not perform, but only preach the word which gives offense. Therefore we must become used to this and be content. It is and will remain a doctrine at which not common people, but the most holy, pious, wise, and powerful on earth take offense, as experience shows. But blessed are those who know and believe that it is God's word. They are healed, strengthened, and comforted such against such offenses. But those who do not know it and turn away from the word to their own righteousness are puffed up on account of their own good works and regard the gospel as a doctrine which gives offense and stirs up strife. Thus the gospel becomes a stumbling block and gives offense. And this, as already said, is the case with those who are regarded by the world as the greatest saints and wisest people. Therefore we may well utter our complaint against the blind world with the Lord Jesus and say, We have piped unto you, and you have not danced. We have mourned unto you, and you have not lamented. If we preach the gospel, it avails nothing. If we preach the law, it avails nothing. We can make the wicked world neither truly joyful nor truly sorry. That is, they will not become sinners nor allow themselves to be comforted against sin. They will neither be blind nor seeing, as is shown by the example of our opponents, the papists, which we have before us. Now this is the other part which is here to be observed that the gospel is a doctrine and preaching for the poor, that is, for sorrowful, distressed consciences who are sensible of their wretchedness and distress and are affrighted and terrified at the wrath and judgments of God. For not for the rich and full, who direct all their actions and thoughts to this, that they may have great honor and riches here and to live in pleasure and luxury. Therefore, it is strange, wondrous doctrine in their ears when the Lord says, the poor have the gospel preached to them, which they do not desire to know or learn, nay, which they have regarded as folly. They not only take offense at it, but persecute and slander it as heresy, as we see in the case of the Pope and his spiritless cardinals, bishops, etc., also in the greater part of the greatest and mightiest temporal rulers and potentates who adhere to them, 
so that all who are pious, holy, great, and powerful in the world oppose the gospel. Against such offense, as already said, our Lord warns his little flock and says, Blessed is he whoever shall not be offended in me. As though he should say, You see and experience, and will continue more and more to see and experience, that the world is offended at my word, and will for its sake persecute you who confess it. This I tell you before, and for this very reason, that you may then be wise, and not let yourself be led astray or troubled, but think, The same thing happened to the Lord Jesus, the Son of God. Though he preached powerfully and did so many great and notable miracles, it availed him nothing. And that we might carefully remember this and not suffer ourselves to be moved by the world's wisdom, glory, power, and great numbers, he has faithfully warned and admonished us to hold fast to his word when he says, Blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me, since it happened to our Lord himself that his own people, to whom he had been promised and sent as a Savior, were offended in him. And since although they saw the great and glorious miracles which he did before their eyes, they still would not be induced to believe his preaching and receive him. Nay, since on the contrary they crucified him, we may well keep silence and not complain if we also are despised, laughed at, and persecuted on account of the gospel. Such doctrine and warning against offense is highly necessary, especially in our time when almost everyone slanders and takes offense at the dear gospel. Thus, from this sermon of Christ we derive an excellent doctrine, upon which our salvation and eternal life depend. Namely, we learn how Christ is King of grace and all comfort, who will encourage poor distressed consciences through his gospel, comfort them in the terror of sin, and help them to attain eternal life. For this is, properly speaking, his kingdom, which comes to us through the word, if we, when the burden of sin and death oppress us, for to such only it is preached, receive and believe the word. This comfort and assures us then to go Go on joyfully, building our hope on Christ, and with confidence to say, I believe in my dear Lord, who gives the blind their sight, makes the lame walk, cleanses the leper, restores the deaf to their hearing, and raises the dead. This word I have, and am therefore sure that he will not forsake me in my greatest necessities, but will lead me out of death and the kingdom of the devil into eternal life and the kingdom of heaven. For this end he became man and appeared on earth to comfort me, a poor miserable sinner with his gospel, and forever to deliver me from sin and death. Let this be said of the first part of the gospel lesson, in which Christ admonishes us highly to esteem the preaching of the gospel as our highest comfort and grace, through which we come to his kingdom, and to avoid offenses which would turn or frighten us away from it. The other part also inculcates the same doctrine and admonition, for there we hear how highly the Savior praises John the Baptist in view of his preaching and firmness and reproves the people because they did not regard or believe his preaching and says, what went ye out into the wilderness to see? In the first place, no doubt, you went out to hear what there might be new. Looked at him like a cow at a new gate, not caring much about him or his doctrine. For now that he is in prison, you think his office and preaching are in an end, since he himself accomplished nothing further, and no Christ of whom he spoke appeared yet anywhere. Now, he says, you did not regard John as being anything else than a reed shaken by the wind, and still think that he was nothing different, and imagine that as your thoughts are, so John's and my preaching must be. But I say unto you, John is not a reed. Do not look upon him as a preacher who will turn his word hither or thither as you would have, or who will preach to you a Messiah as your fancy paints him. For you wish only a Messiah who will praise you as holy people, and you wait for a kingdom which is only worldly, in which you may have great honor, possessions, might, and power. But there will be nothing of this as John preached. 
So it shall be, and neither devil nor hell shall set it aside, for he stands with his doctrine and testimony like a wall, nay, like a rock against all winds and storms, as you may see how he proves it in his imprisonment when he sends his disciples to me. Therefore do not think that you will hear anything different from him or see anything different in me from what he preached to you, and be no longer such a reed if you do not wish to be shaken by every wind and storm of the devil. Do not imagine that this doctrine can be bent to suit your inclinations, and that he will preach or keep silent to suit the people as you do, for you are such preachers as take handfuls of barley, as written in Ezekiel 13, or like our new papists, a rich benefice, and preach what the people like to hear. No, to speak or keep silent as the people wish is not the way of the kingdom of God, but to preach thus as did St. John, who keeps on holding fast to the same doctrine and testimony, sacrificing for it even his own life. In the second place, he was not clothed in soft raiment like those who are at the courts of kings and princes, but is clothed in a coarse garment of camel's hair, and is barefooted and bareheaded. These are his ornaments and glory with which he is content. Therefore he is not like a preacher for, uh, for those either who would like to take hold of the gospel where it is soft and mild and when it serves their purpose, and those who are indeed received the gospel when they can draw advantage from it and are enriched by it. Such is the case with the greater part of these among us, nay, even among the papists themselves, the nobility, citizens, and farmers. They know well how to use their freedom from all formal papal tyranny and burdens to secure for themselves temporal goods and appropriate to themselves whatever they can, but that they should, on the contrary, show their thankfulness to the gospel with one penny and give something to their minister or the poor church. To this no one can induce them. But here it is said that John is not such a court preacher who would be clothed in soft raiment, that is, who preaches of a temporal kingdom, worldly goods, honor, power, and good days, or shows a Christ who brings and gives such, but is clothed in coarse raiment, and uses plain and sharp language, for the sake of which we must suffer, and from which we must not expect luxury and an easy life. The third part, concerning John's preaching and office, is that Christ does not want him to be regarded as a prophet, but much higher and greater, so that no prophet can be compared with him in his office. For the prophets have hitherto been persons whom God sent immediately to preach with divine testimony that they had the Holy Ghost. But they all preached Christ as about to come, and in general a prophet is one who says or preaches about future things. Among these do not look for John the Baptist. But this is his name and office, as God calls him through Malachi, the angel, or forerunning messenger, of God, whom shall prepare the way of the Lord, Point to him and say, Now you need no longer wait for him. He is already here. One only see that you receive him. Thus then you are to regard this firm, strong, rough man when you see or hear him, that he brings with him the Lord himself concerning whom the prophets wrote and whom you have awaited. And in these words, the prophet Malachi, it is indicated how God will work and operate among the hearts of men through the preaching and work of John, and not in any other way. For where Christ is to be received and people are to be saved through him, he must first be pointed out and recognized by this preaching. Therefore he says, Behold, this is the messenger whom I send before thee. That is, wherever I am to give my spirit and eternal life, there this messenger, that is, this minister, sent of God, must prepare the way. This was a necessary sermon for the Jews of the greatest moment to them, and their salvation or eternal condemnation depends on this, that they should find him. For if they would be saved, they must be prudent and wise, and not miss or neglect the time, which nevertheless the greater part of them have done for more than 1,500 years. For they were in the greatest danger that 
if they would not receive him, they would be deprived of their salvation, and all their hoping and waiting would have been in vain. It depended even on this short period as if it were a moment during which the old Mosaic government should cease and the new kingdom of Christ be established in all the world. Therefore God before warned them in the scripture, showed and indicated the time and manner, how and when he should come, and besides sent this John to show and tell them clearly that Christ had already come, in order that they might by, by, might by no means miss him, nor have any reason or excuse to offer. Therefore he says, look well to this, that John has taught you rightly and faithfully, and not as a prophet, but as he who goes immediately before the Lord and points him out. For you have before heard prophets enough, and know well that your Messiah is to come. But now more depends on this, that you go to this John and receive and believe his preaching. So shall you no more hear the prophetic preaching as one yet to come, but him who prepares the way before the Lord. Let him tell you who Christ is. Then you will not err nor miss him. Now you hear that he has preached and said thus, You need not wait for him to appear with new and great pomp and splendor, but he stands already in your midst like other men without any special pomp or show. This alone is his forerunning and sign, that I with my voice and finger direct to him, just as at court, before they see the prince, a youth or vow the chamber and doorkeeper go immediately before him. And when they see these, all must go out of the way and give place, and know that the next one who follows is the prince himself. Thus also here, when they heard the testimony of John, they should have obeyed and said, Now we have the dear man, blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord, and be welcome now, dear Lord and King. Here stands thy temple, here are the priesthood, the services, kingdom, all, they are all thine. Do with them as thou wilt. We will willingly serve and follow thee with souls, bodies, and goods. Thus the Jews were faithfully warned of God, so that they could well have recognized their Messiah, if they had wished it and in him have had their Lord and Savior, so that to this day they would both temporally and eternally have comfort, joy, honor, and all good. But they are the great, excellent, holy people who despise this message and say of John that he has a devil. See Christ's preaching and working miracles before their eyes, and in the midst of it all put him to death. Still, that this preaching might not be in vain, there were a few pious hearts among them, who with gratitude received the testimony of this forerunner and the Lord himself, and were filled with joyful surprise at the remarkable fulfillment of the writings of the prophets. These were the dear children of God, who were not offended in Christ and are blessed. The other Jews, the mass of them, who despised such witness, because they did not see in Christ what they wanted, and as they wanted it, also have their reward, in that they also are scattered to this day and of now neither Christ nor priesthood, temple, land, nor people. Admonition Therefore, we also should let this sermon for Christ be an admonition and warning to us. For we also, through the preaching of the gospel, hear this voice of John the Baptist, which directs unto this Savior, Christ, and says, This is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. To him you should cling in faith and confession, and thank God that he has given you this knowledge, and this sermon and direction of John the Baptist shall endure to eternity. But now it depends upon this too, whether we are people who receive the testimony. For if, like the greater part of the Jews, and, as alas, is always the case in the world, we let it pass by, we will share the same fate with them and others. Factions and sects will come afterwards, 
through which the pure doctrine and God's word will be darkened among us and go out altogether. Then they will begin to seek Christ and will be unable to find him, just as was formerly done in the darkness of the papacy. For no one can give any other doctrine unto salvation than this, as Peter says, Acts chapter 4, there is no name nor doctrine whereby we can be saved. If we neglect this, it is all over with us, as is now with the Jews and Turks. There will be no lack of teachers. We will have enough of these, as the Jews and Turks also have, who will preach much and want to show the way to heaven, and everyone will show diligence in seeking, as the Jews now also seek their Messiah. But alas, it is a seeking always in vain, and never any finding. For he made all depend only on this his messenger, who pointed him out with his voice and finger, that we might know where to find him. Else it would end in nothing, and our seeking would ever be in vain. Therefore we must now say, as the prophet Isaiah writes in the 55th chapter, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. That is, hear this sermon as concerning Christ and believe in him, as it teaches you, and hold fast to it. Then you have rightly found him, so that he will remain with you and you with him. This is now also preached to the world, and especially to us. But we do even as the Jews did to John and Christ himself, who so diligently warned them. Men are unwilling to hear the voice of this preacher, or to receive this Savior. The majority, farmers, citizens, noblemen, lords, persecute this doctrine. Our own people, who are called evangelical, do not regard it and are tardy in furthering it. They think that other matters are of more importance, therefore neglect it, and pulpits, churches, and schools go to ruin, and though with one finger they could save them, they will not do it, lest they should in the meantime neglect their own matters. Well, even if John had been here with his sermon, and war and misfortune come, men will not be able to hear the sermon. For where war and desolation are, there God's word, pulpits, and schools find no room nor encouragement, instruction and discipline cease, contempt of God and all manner of lawlessness and unrighteousness gain the ascendancy. And although the gospel is not destroyed by war and murder, yet in the contempt and ingratitude of the world it will perish through lying and false doctrine. Now we would have peace and prosperity if we would be wise and hold fast to this man. If we make a mistake and neglect it, the punishment will also come, and the devil will govern boldly instead of Christ through murder and in the soul through lies. The Jew also thought there was no danger. They had God's promise and they could not fall, and their Messiah would certainly come. Now God fulfills his promise, sends them the promised Christ, and lets John point to him with his finger and say, Here you have him, receive him, and you have God, the kingdom of heaven, and all. But what does it avail in their case? They let John preach and had to acknowledge that he was a good man, but did not regard his preaching and testimony and did not receive Christ. But they also paid for it dearly and must pay for it today. God grant that we may not lose this finger on account of our great ingratitude, else we may also accept what we have deserved. In short, this is the necessary daily admonition which may be given in the churches to give heed to John's finger and receive God's word while we have it, that, as Isaiah says, to seek the Lord while he may be found. For I, says he, hear thee in an acceptable time and help thee in the day of salvation. But the Apostle Paul says, Now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation or of help. Now we can find him. Hereafter we will have to wait too long. If he is not here or does not come to us, no one can find him. If he is away, no calling or crying after him will avail anything, as I and many others in monasticism have tried, who have tortured ourselves with much labor and grievous work, and yet could not thereby find the way to heaven, and would have had to go to hell if we had died thus. Therefore let us heed this warning. 
for it is no jest. It is a great treasure, but it depends on this, that we receive it and hold fast. As he says, Luke 11, Blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Amen. Here ends Luther's sermon for the second, third Sunday in Advent, preaching on Matthew chapter 21. For more information about this sermon and other Lutheran sermons, and to have more information about the Lutheran Service Sermon Podcast, please visit www.hope-aurora.org. Click on Resources and Luther Sermon Audio. This has been Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church, reading this sermon from Martin Luther's House Postal.